Section number 57 of Stories and Pictures. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Talia. You can find me at VOBYT.com. Stories and Pictures by I. L. Peretz. Translated by Helena Frank. Section number 57 the hanukkah light my top coat was already in my hand and yet i could not decide to go or not to go to give my lesson oh it's so unpleasant outside such horrible weather a mile's trudge and then what once more pakar once more the old housemaster who has got through his sixty-odd years of life without knowing any grammar who has been ten times to Leipzig, two or three times to Danzig, who once but all landed in Constantinople, and who cannot understand such a waste of money. Grammar, indeed, a fine bargain. Then the young housemaster, who allows that it is far more practical to wear earlocks, a fur cap, and a braided caftan, to consult with a good Jew, and not to know any grammar? not that he is otherwise than orthodox himself but he is obliged as a merchant to mix with men to wear a hat and a stiff shirt to permit his wife to visit the theatre his daughter to read books and engage a tutor for his son my father of course knows best but one must move with the times he cannot make up his mind to be left in the lurch by the times i only beg of you he said to me don't make an unbeliever of the boy. I will give you, he said, as much as you would pay for a whole lot of grammar, if you will not teach him that the earth goes around the sun. And I promised that he should never hear it from me, because, because this was my only lesson, and I had a sick mother at home. To go or not to go. The whole family will be present to watch me when I give my lesson. She also? She sits in the background, always deep in a book. Now and again she lifts her long silken lashes, and a little brightness is diffused through the room. But so seldom, so seldom. And what is to come of it? Nothing can come of it except heartache. Listen, my mother's weak voice from the bed recalls me to myself. The fludgster says, if only I had a pair of warm woolen socks, I might creep about the room a little. That, of course, decides it. Except for the lady of the house, who has gone to play, as usual, without the knowledge of her father-in-law, I find the whole family assembled around the pinchbeck samovar. The young housemaster acknowledges my greeting with a negligent, a good year to you, and goes on turning over his palm a pack of playing cards. Doubtless he expects company. The old housemaster, in a peaked cap and a voluminous Turkish dressing gown, does not consider it worth while to remove from his lips the long pipe with its amber mouthpiece, or to lift his eyes off his well-worn book of devotions. He merely gives a nod and once more sinks his attention in the portion appointed for Hanukkah. She also is intent in her reading. Only her book 
as usual, is a novel. My arrival makes a disagreeable impression on my pupil. Oh, I say, and he springs up from his seat at the table and lowers his black-ringed little head defiantly. Lessons today? Why not, smiles his father. But it's Hanukkah, answers the boy, tapping the floor with his foot and pointing to the first light, which has been placed in the window behind the curtain and fastened to a bit of wood. Quite right, growls the old gentleman. Well, well, says the younger one with indifference. You must excuse him for once. I have an idea that she has become suddenly paler, that she bends lower over her book. I wish them all a good night, but the young house buster will not let me go. You must stay to tea. And end to the rascals with poppy seed, cries my pupil joyfully. He is quite willing to be friends so long as there is no question of Picard. I am defiant as to accepting, but the boy seizes my hand, and with a roguish smile on his restless features, he places a chair for me opposite of his sister's. Has he observed anything? On my side, of course, I mean. She is always abstracted and lost in her reading. Very likely she looks upon me as an idler, or even worse. She does not know that I have a sick mother at home. It will soon be time for you to dress, exclaims her father impatiently. Soon, very soon, Tarashi, she answers hastily, and her pale cheeks take a tinge of color. The young housemaster abandons himself once more to his reflections. My pupil sends a top spinning across the table. The old man lays down his book and stretches out a hand for his tea. Involuntarily, I glance at the Hanukkah light opposite to me in the window. It burns so sadly, so low, as if ashamed in the presence of the great silvered lamp hanging over the dining table and lighting so brilliantly the elegant tea service. I feel more depressed than ever and do not observe that she is offering me a glass of tea. With lemon, her melancholy voice rouses me. Perhaps you prefer milk, says her father. Look out, the milk is smoked, cries my pupil warningly. An exclamation escapes her. How can you be so? Silence once more. Nothing but a sound of sipping and clink of spoons. Suddenly, my pupil is moved to inquire. After all, teacher, what is Hanukkah? Ask the rabbi tomorrow, in school, says the old man impatiently. Ugh, is a prompt reply. I should think a tutor knew better than a rabbi. The old man cast an angry glance at his son as if to say, Do you see? I want to know about Hanukkah too, she exclaimed softly. Well, well, says the young housemaster to me. Let us hear your version of Hanukkah, by all means. It happened, I began, in the days when the Greeks oppressed us in the land of Israel. The Greeks, but the old man interrupts me with a sour look. In the benediction it says, the wicked kingdom of Yavon. It comes to the same thing, observes his son. What we call Yavon, they call Greeks. The Greeks, I resume, oppressed us terribly. It was in our darkest hour. As a nation, we were threatened with extinction. After a few ill-started risings, 
that life seemed to be crushed out of us. The last gleam of hope had faded, although in our own country we were trodden underfoot like worms. The young housemaster has long ceased to pay me any attention. His ear is tuned to the door. He is intent on listening for the arrival of a guest. But the old housemaster fixes me with his eye, and, when I have a second time used the word oppressed, he can no longer contain himself. A man should be explicit. Oppressed? What does that even convey to me? They force us to break the Sabbath. They forbade us to keep our festivals, to study the law, even to practice circumcision. You play preference, inquires the young gentleman suddenly, or perhaps even poker. Once more there is silence, and I continue. The misfortune was aggravated by the fact that the nobility and the wealthy began to feel ashamed of their own people, and to adopt Greek ways of living. They used to frequent the gymnasiums. She and the old gentleman look at me in astonishment. In the gymnasium of those days, I hasten to add, there was no studying. They used to practice gymnastics, naked, men and women together. The two pairs of eyes lower their gaze, but the young housemaster raises his with a flash. What did you say? I make no reply, but I go on to speak of the theaters, where the men fought wild beasts and oxens, and of other Greek manners and customs which must have been contrary to the Jewish tradition. The Greeks thought nothing of all of this. They were bent on effacing every trace of independent national existence. They set up an altar in the street with an aboda zora and commanded us to sacrifice to it. What is that? she asks in Polish. I explain. The old man adds excitingly, and a swine too. They were to sacrifice a swine to it. And there was found a Jew to approach the altar with an offering. But that same day, the old Maccabeus, with his five sons, had come down from the hills. And before the Greek soldiers could intervene, the miserable apostate was lying in his blood. And the altar was torn down. In one second, the rebellion was ablaze. The Maccabees, with handful of men, drove out the far more numerous Greek garrison. The people were set free. Is that the victory we should celebrate with our poor little illumination? With our Hanukkah lights? What? The old man, trembling with rage, springs out of his chair. That is the Hanukkah light? Come here, wretched boy. He screams to his grandson, who instead of obeying, shrinks from him in terror. The old man brings his fist down on the table so that the glasses ring again. It means, when we had driven out the unclean sons of Yavon, there was only one little cruise of holy olive oil left. But a fit of coughing stops his breath, and his son hastens up and assists him into the next room. I wish to leave, but she detains me. You are against assimilation, then? she asks. To assimilate, I reply, is to consume, to eat. To digest. We assimilate beef and bread, and others wish to assimilate us. To eat us up like bread and meat. She is silent for a few seconds, and then she asks anxiously, 
but will there always, always be wars and dissensions between the nations? Oh, no, I answer. One point they must all agree in the end, and that is humanity. When each is free to follow his own bent, then they will all agree. She is lost in thought. She has more to say, but there comes a tap at the door. Mama, she exclaims under her breath and escapes after giving me her hand for the first time. On the next day but one, while I was still in bed, I received a letter by the postman. The envelope bore the name of her father's firm, Jacob Bernholtz. My heart beat like a sledgehammer. Inside, there were only ten rubles. My pay for the month that was not yet complete. Goodbye. Lesson. End of section number 57. This has been recorded by Talia. You can find me at vobyt.com.